0: This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. With pedals like the Snow Day Delay, the Pep Rally Fuzz, the Trash Panda, and my personal favorite, the Science Fair, which is two classic dirt pedals in one, with a mid-boosted overdrive on one side, a black lab rat circuit on the other, and a blend knob to blend between them to find the perfect classic stacked dirt sound you're looking for, it's hard not to find something you'll love. Mark builds all of his pedals by hand in Syracuse, New York, where he also works as a full-time educator. In addition to the super fun graphics on their pedals, Mark also offers custom artwork. Want your dog's face on a pedal? He can do it. Want your face on a pedal? He can make that happen too. Go over to SummerschoolElectronics.com and make sure to tell them that 40 Watt Podcast sent you. What Podcast coming at you. This is Philip. Um, today, I'm super excited to have a friend of mine on the podcast. This is going to be, she doesn't know this yet, although she's probably figured it out by now. Uh, Alice Hazen is a violinist out of Memphis, Tennessee, originally from Vermont, who is the first non-guitarist I've had on this podcast. Um, Further proof... See, I told folks this podcast was about music and not just guitar, but nobody believed me. So now I'm having to prove everybody I'm being real about this. I got piano players planned. I've got all sorts of folks planned. Actually, I ran out of other instruments at that point, but I'm planning on other things. We're going to talk to a whole bunch of people. But today I have Alice Hazen out of now Memphis, Tennessee, Soul City, USA. I don't care what anybody says. Um Detroit can claim what they want They can say all they want Memphis is still doing it um, But So I'm going to set you up here Alice I'm going to let you introduce yourself Talk all about yourself But I'm, gonna, I'm just going to set you up just a little bit here So Alice started studying violin at the age of four Comes from a mother who played in the Vermont Symphony Orchestra you grew up in like that classical world from a very, very early age. And now you play, I don't even know what to call the music you play. So talk about your journey to Memphis, Tennessee, how you got there. How'd you get into music, which I've given a little bit of that away, but there's, I'm sure there's a whole lot more going on there. Tell us how you got here. Hey, well,
1: that's a, that's like a whole life story. Philip. Are you ready? Let's do it. <laughs> it's uh it started at age four. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it might have started around that time. My mom always waffles when I ask her. She's like, "Oh, sometime around then. I was like, what? You didn't, like, put it in your diary <laughs> when I started? <laughs> I guess she didn't think, I, you know, <laughs> it would matter too much. But um, she is definitely, like, one of the primary people that I always give credit to for both getting me into music and keeping me you know, an active and motivated musician and like you said, um, very accurately, Philip, she is the uh, one of the flutists in the Vermont Symphony and dancing in the Training. And she would bring me to all of her symphony concerts and rehearsals when I was little. And I remember she asked me one day, she sat me down real seriously, and she said, Okay Alice, the time has come for you to learn an instrument and what do you want to play? And I thought for a moment, my four year old self or five or I i don't know. And I thought about the instruments that I knew the most. And from a little kid's perspective in the audience, the two uh, sections that you can see most easily in the orchestra are the violin and the cello. And so that's how I chose the violin was because I could see it from the audience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
1: So, yeah. But- that's, the most illustrious story that I'm sure you've ever heard—an <laughs> origin story for how somebody came to find their
0: their voice. It's as good as as good a reason as any, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't think on. you reason too much when you're that age. <laughs>
0: Very true.
1: I'm pretty sure that I got like caramel candies after I practiced. That was one big motivator, <laughs> um, and. And yeah, I think I might have actually been more consistent and like put in more practice hours then than I do there. <laughs> <laughs> I mumbled that part, but I said that, that I do right now. Oh yeah.
0: No. I think that's I'm, all of us. Sure
1: you know, dude, yeah, you all have to every musician has to be like a an everything to themselves. They have to be well right now I'm my own because 'cause I'm going through my twenty twenty. Uh Tax information, you know, we all have to do that. No, oh, for all those and, all those gigs, you know,
0: for, for all those gigs that 2022 yeah, yeah, brought it's us. Gonna
1: be, we're right, it's actually a very easy year to <laughs> go through my taxes, <laughs> figure out what I made, and it's kind of sad. But anyway, uh, yeah, the first like two and a half months were pretty good last year, and then after that, actually had a really fun December. I played at the Memphis Zoo outdoors because um, right now I'm only doing outdoor gigs and. I, people were uh, tipping me, it was awesome, it was really cold though, and I, I think that they um sound like the one, <laughs> the one person who might be able to withstand the cold more than most Memphians can.
0: <laughs> Makes total uh-huh. sense. Oh yeah, I'm
1: from Vermont, I don't know if you said that already. I, but I did, but it's Vermont, worth,
0: it's year, worth so. noting, a beautiful state, I visited <laughs> for the first time in 2019, so
1: Nice, nice. I think you told me about
0: that trip, as I recall. Yeah, uh, Burlington. What an incredible little town. They would have never thought it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're saying a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> I don't care what anybody says.
0: <laughs> no, it's, wow. a, it's it was a neat little town. Uh had a great little speakeasy hidden bar that I love called uh, Lincoln's. I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about it on a podcast. It's not so secret then, but... uh no, it was, it was really cool. Um, God, this is so sidetracked, but I don't care. Um, there is, so this bar is down an alley through two completely blacked out glass double doors. And you walk through those doors, and it's a coat rack. Like, the room is like the size of someone's bathroom. There's some coat racks on the wall and an ATM machine. You have to pull on one of the coat racks to open the door to go upstairs to the bar. Oh man, it's so cool! And See,
1: ev- I think you might. <laughs> and everything's that's five dollars. So cool. I it's didn't so even know about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, we we had to do some deep digging. Wow. You know, I was at a library conference, so librarians have to find where all the good bars are. That's that's our that's our parlor trick. <laughs>
1: what a librarian has in their job description.
0: (laughs) Well, seeing as I've been
1: likened to a librarian once or twice, maybe I actually
0: did miss my calling. Uh, It it is never too late. But no, it seems like you're doing pretty well already. So uh, as you were saying, musician has to be everything nowadays. You're your own accountant. You're your own booking agent. You're your own publicist. You're your own, uh, in a lot of cases, record label, everything.
1: Mm-hmm. you are yeah i've definitely had to i've uh gotten a bigger taste of that of course well, the blackwater trio was sort of my entrance into non-classical life but um as far as like really accounting for everything and, and leadership and stuff goes i've really gotten a taste of that in the last two and a half years or so with my own solo project and stuff because it's just so much harder to I don't know it's on a different level when you're the one trying to like rally everybody to go to the studio on a certain day or you know just all logistics and and it's all about it's all writing on your name not just a group name so yeah there's there's been a lot of learning that I feel like I've done in the past couple of years and I don't know it gives me hope because you know every year i get a little better i now have a spreadsheet for my taxes as opposed to just like <laughs> you know <laughs> piles of paper <laughs> yeah i downloaded my like years ago years ago and that was like no joke a life-changing moment for me and i'm not getting paid to say that but <laughs> just get yourself something musicians out there something to track your miles <laughs> yes biggest piece of advice i can
0: give: mileage is <laughs> mileage is huge and a lot of musicians don't pay attention to it you know i, I used to i didn't do a lot of them because i hate them hate them hate them. i hate casino gigs i hate them so much I, 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 oh, mm-hmm.
1: me, yeah i've played one or two of those
0: uh, a time. Yeah, music to be ignored by but so played these casino gigs and of course 1099s, as any, you know, all you musicians should be filing your taxes on all of your gigs. You should never not file your taxes. You hear that IRS and whatever NSA agent is assigned to me? I'm just letting you know. And it? Yeah, and, and no, yeah. 20% of your tips. No, whatever. Uh, so
1: All the musicians are going to hate me now. I know. I, yeah. I, uh, I do not comment on the tip part. I'm
0: just uh, but... So played those gigs, and it was the first time I ever had someone explain to me about mileage, writing it off. And it's like your mileage is part of your expense. And by the time I got done with the mileage for rehearsals and the gigs and et cetera, et cetera, it was a wash. Like taxes were a complete wash. I owed nothing because but, you know, I actually basically took a loss like by the time you calculated <laughs> mileage. Yeah, it's good and bad news. It's like I basically took a loss <laughs> by the time you calculated mileage. Yeah, I've,
1: I've definitely learned a lot in the past few years. Every time I go in to do taxes and I just like go to H&R Block because obviously it's enough to keep track of without actually knowing how to do taxes, Um, but like I just learned something new every year. And or, you know, like how you can if you have a music space in your home, you can put it, that percentage of your home into the cost, you know, and utilities and if you have a phone or whatever. But anyway, this is all making for probably very boring podcast talk. <laughs> if I talk about that, all those tax tricks I've learned. It is but it's, it's
0: <laughs> boring, but it's important. You know, uh, for example, this this podcast I just I just filed LLC for this podcast. Like it's it's a registered business, right? And that means that Perfect. my yeah, for you. yeah it's a, it's a thing that needed to happen, like for tax purposes. If uh-huh. I if I want to be serious about it, and I do, that means that my gear is gets to be written off. Like whatever I buy, like the space I use in my house to record this podcast, that's a business expense. So it's a very very small one, which means my taxes are going to be super complicated next year when I have to file them. But it's needed in order to keep that all straight and to make sure that I'm not getting raked over the coals later. And musicians need to understand a little bit. They don't have to be accountants, but they do need to understand a little bit. And I think nobody talks about that.
1: We'll be right back.
0: This podcast is supported in part by String Joy Strings. I'm a snob. At least that's what people tell me. I'm never okay with good enough, and that's where Stringjoy strings come in. They're better than good enough. They're the best. Stringjoy are making some of the finest strings available today right up the road from me in Nashville, Tennessee. They offer custom sets, balanced tension, coated strings, the works. If you need it, they can probably make it happen. You should be using Stringjoy Strings, and if you're going to order from them, you really could help this podcast out by clicking the affiliate link down in the description or show notes below. You get amazing strings. I get a little bit of that back to help the show keep going. It's a win-win situation. Get your Stringjoy Strings today.
1: I think it's it's totally right. And um, one last thing that okay, so I haven't actually filed my LLC yet, but I do sort of like have plans to. But I've even have people tell me that like it can protect you from, like say if somebody trips on a cable at your show and they want to sue you for like their broken leg or something, then the business is like kind of between you and them. Yeah. And so they sue your business and maybe your business has like $2,000 in the bank or something, but I don't know. Yeah, it's just interesting. I think that you your night it's important and I actually feel like I'm better at understanding things like that than I am at like (laughs) songwriting um but it's just because it's more straightforward and that's how my brain works but like but yeah it's it's something that I do kind of find interesting and I think that it's worthwhile to to get those things right and like copywriting songs or you know, putting your music into a catalog at BMI or ASCAP or something. It's its all like kind of tedious, but I think it's important for anybody who wants to like really, you know, go into it and make a business plan with it. Uh,
0: so. Agreed. I, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All that tedious stuff that nobody wants to talk about, but has to get done and you'd love to be able to hire someone to do it for you, but nobody's making enough money out here in the nitty gritty to, to hire someone to do it for them. That's just what it amounts maybe, to. Uh,
1: maybe you could do a podcast on tips and tricks of, big of the financial
0: life of a musician. I, I, you know, <laughs> I I, could, I, don't, I don't know.
1: <laughs>
0: there's a really great podcast that I'm about to, I guess I'm going to talk about them, uh, that I recommend every musician uh, listen to, even if you don't use CD Baby. Uh, CD Baby puts out a podcast every two weeks, I think. Sometimes it's a little longer, sometimes there's a couple of episodes in that time frame, whatever. It's pretty regular. Um called the DIY Musician podcast. They talk about everything. Oh, I
1: heard about that.
0: Yeah, it, it's so cool. Great. They talk about the finances, they talk about advertising, they talk about merchandising, they talk about recording and royalties and everything like that. And I think every musician who is doing original music should be listening to that podcast.
1: Nice. I'm gonna write that down
0: right now. Yeah, it's it's a great <laughs> one. There's and there's a huge backlog. In fact, they put one out today as we're recording. Um, I don't want to exactly date what day we're recording, but it's it they put one out today. It's I haven't listened to it yet, but I've been listening to them pretty religiously for the last couple of years and I don't even have original music out yet. So it's like I've just been stocking all this knowledge. <laughs> we
1: ought to team that. I've got some songs that need protecting, and you have all
0: the knowledge. <laughs> well, there you go.
1: There we go.
0: <laughs> so, nice. So you you uh let's so let's fast forward just a little bit. You're in this classical world. Um, you go to college in in uh Connecticut. Um, you get out of college, and you move to Mississippi. Talk through that.
1: <laughs> Full stop. Yeah, full stop. That was... Oh, man. That was an experience, and let me just preface this by saying that, like, I have... Some of my best friends are from Mississippi now, in my life, and some of my first real Alice experiences that I still are, you know, formative for me happened in Mississippi. Um, But it was a culture shock. It was... It was... The way that I entered mississippi i just remember this really clearly i went through memphis um and i went down 61 because that was just the gps direction uh-huh. and you know how like 61 can get a little just gnarly before you hit mississippi when you're leaving memphis yeah yeah it does <laughs> just, like all of the, you know
0: it's a li- it's a little things gritty things there
1: yeah it's just you know it's just a part of 61 and uh, then you go up a hill and downhill and then it's just like flat green expanse and I was just like I think I turned off whatever I was listening to on the radio I was just like I am in Mississippi now for the first time in my <laughs> life and then I proceeded to drive through the Delta which was a place like just geologically so different from any place I've ever been, having grown up, you know, in a mountainous state. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was beautiful and haunting. And then when I kind of like, well, first I went down to Delta State University where they gave us our training to Teach for America because um, I was there for Teach for America to be a band director. That's what brought me down initially. as I know that, you know, but um, yeah, I, You know, I just remember really, really hot summers. mosquitoes that just seemed too large to exist in real life. (laughs) And talking on the phone with a boyfriend who really didn't like the fact that I was so far away. (laughs) And eventually would lead us, you know, to a breakup. But, you know, it was the best thing for both of us in the end. But it was really, like, both an exciting time and a lonely time. And teaching was the first year was just a wash and then the second and third years as a band director uh, in a public high school in Mississippi were way better because I had my feet over me finally, but I was, you know, just like in every way kind of lost. And I put away my violin for a good semester just trying to keep my head above water teaching. And I felt like I had lost a limb or something. I know that's kind of cliche, but, um, I was, you know, pretty much just a classical musician at that point after graduating Yale. And I felt like I had a big, huge part of my expression cut out, but I just didn't have time to practice or energy after I came home from the workday. And then I started to, like, attend these open mic nights in the second semester of teaching. And that's when I kind of got more, like, interested in you know just being more of a local in Clarksdale because I could have the time and the energy and then Seth and Walt came over to our house and started a dam and that was sort of the beginning of our group the Blackwater Trio and that was I think the thing that kept me um when it came time to like tell the boyfriend that I wasn't gonna <laughs> just go back to, move to to live with him in DC. um Like, music was a really big thing that kept me in Clarksdale. And, of course, a lot of the people there, too, just, you know, making me feel like I had a responsibility to stay. And also, I wanted to stay because I was making really good friends and kind of, like, exploring this new side of myself musically that I had never known was there or could be there. And that was pretty much the reason I stayed. So, I'd tell people that I came down for teaching and stayed for music. And I stayed in Clarksville for four years, taught for three of them. Uh, And the fourth one was sort of like my big leap out of, you know, the grit and grind of being a teacher who gets up at 6 a.m. every day. In fact, I think Walt gave me a retirement card, like, happy (laughs) retirement, (laughs) Alice. That's awesome. And I got out of teaching in
0: 2015. (laughs) That's so cool.
1: Very thoughtful. <laughs> yeah. And it's and I, I, I just yeah, it was very good change for me lifestyle
0: wise. <laughs> it's an interesting story that you know, I lived in Clarksdale for most of my life. Not all of it at this point. There was a day not that long ago where I could say that, but of people coming to Clarksdale for whatever reason. For you it was teaching and, and band directing and teach for America. Um uh and and for those of you who don't know what teach for america is it's a it's a program that brings recent college grads into high risk and impoverished areas to teach basically at risk youth um and whether it's teach for america that comes in or it brings you in or if it's a music pilgrimage um i've i've met so many great friends at this point um Guys who are, and gals who move from, say, Washington, D.C. because of the blues. They want to live there and experience it. Or um, EY, who comes from Japan every year, just not this year, obviously, EY! but comes ev- every year <laughs> just to experience the Delta for a few months before he goes back home to Japan. Or um, the Australians that come to Clarksdale, buy property, open restaurants, open um, – Bed and breakfast, you know, open all sorts of cool things because they want to be a part of this weird and wonderful, wacky blues and Delta culture. Um, and that's why I think it's it's such a travesty that to a lot of people, especially Mississippians, they see Clarksdale as the Delta and run down and impoverished. and But whereas you leave the state and suddenly people see it as this magical, wonderful artsy musical place that they have to go explore and they have to be a part of somehow. And, Oh, it gets me riled up. It's like, you got to look beyond the face of something and, and see the soul of it. And the soul of Clarksdale pulls people in and people stay like a lot of times. They don't come intending to stay. I doubt you came to Mississippi with the intention of staying in the, in the Delta which you're in Memphis, you're still in the Delta. We'll still take it. Uh, you're technically on the bluff. It's the whatever. capital of
1: Mississippi. Yeah. say it,
0: <laughs> it is at least the capital of the Delta. I'll give it that. <laughs> I get, <laughs> I do, get, I, do get, I do get salty with Memphis sometimes <laughs> when they start trying to claim things that aren't theirs. <laughs> it happens, and I get, I get salty about it. <laughs> BB King's from the Delta. He ain't from Memphis. But anyway, neither here nor there. It's day.
1: okay. I, I'm not a Memphian, like by native blood so i don't uh take i won't fight you on that oh it's seeping in though
0: you're not going to be there much longer before you'll be a legit memphian i promise it 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 happens i've got a i've got a fraternity brother of mine that i know from delta state that dude grew up his entire life in desoto county mississippi and if you ask him where he's from memphis
1: (laughs) (laughs) i will say like memphis I wasn't expecting this. I just thought, okay, I'll move to a city. It's going to be like finding myself all over again. Cause I've been in a small town for four years and like, I've been kind of used to, you know, walk into the coffee shop and stuff. But like, I, Memphis has just like given me a big hug with those arms. And I feel like it's like the kind of city where you put love into a place and it comes right back to you. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think every city's like that. I haven't, of course, lived in that many other cities for an extended period of time, but I do feel just like, yeah, it's they call it a big, small town, and I feel the vibe there. It definitely has a similar soul to Clarksdale, but a little
0: bit bigger of a of a place. <laughs> it's, it's another place the that Clark has that vibe. It, it definitely has that vibe, and it it's another city. It gets a bad rap. It gets a worse rap than it should. It really does, um, because again, people don't see mm-hmm. see beyond the face, and people don't get off Beale Street. That's get off, like... get off Beale Street, people. <laughs> Go somewhere oh, else. I was
1: talking with, uh, I was talking to somebody who plays on Beale Street like two days ago, because at my part-time job, I am real music. It's a music store. Um, a lot of folks come in, and I was talking with this guy about how. There's, like, two worlds in Memphis of musicians, and one is Beale Street and the other is the rest of Memphis, <laughs> <laughs> and you can live here for years and just, like, never get to know anybody who plays on Beale Street, and they'll never get to know you, because the communities, like, you could just play on Bill Street, and I you know I have lots of friends who just play Beale Street every night or several nights, and, I mean, it pays for sure, probably better than the non-Beal Street side of things. <laughs> having, but, uh, having played both Beale yeah, Street
0: and maybe. off Beale Street, it, Beale Street definitely pays better. <laughs> but it's overrated. Yeah. It's oh, Beale Street is just bourbon. If you go to New Orleans and you spend your entire time on bourbon, you have not seen New Orleans. You don't know a thing about that city. I agree. Memphis is the same way. If you go to Memphis and, and you spend your whole t- I t- agree. Oh, New Orleans is my favorite city. I, no offense, Memphis. You're, you're in the top five. Um, but <laughs> it's... If if you if you go to go to Memphis and spend your whole time on Beale, you're wasting your time. You could get that experience in any college town in America. Going to the college student bar scene, it's not that different. It's really not. But there's Uh a Nashville's actually the same way. I'll be honest. I lived in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, for a couple of years, so I spent a lot of time going into Nashville. There's the Nashville that's touristy. There's the country Nashville. And when I mean, you know what I mean when I say country, I mean the, the rhinestone and the glitter and the whole nine yards. There's the second Avenue and Broadway, but then there's Nashville, the real music city, not, not country, Nashville, not commercial Nashville, but there's this incredible music scene in Nashville that has nothing to do with music row. And, and people don't get to see that if they just come into town for the, the country brand bands on Broadway, which you're going to see some great musicians. You're going to hear some great singers, but you're not finding the soul.
1: I agree. Totally. Um, I actually go to, you probably have done a couple of these, the Folk Alliance conferences, folk yeah. Alliance International. And yeah, like you never meet any of the Broadway musicians there. You always meet the people from like, on nashville as i would also call it i think that's accurate it's just yeah i mean even the bluegrass scene like you're not really gonna find that on broadway either no it's just straight up top 40 countries yeah
0: yeah and it's as really frustrating
1: because i call, I've never like gone to this broadway <laughs> but in- i just don't have an interest in top 40 country so sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> no it's okay it's totally okay um, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. If my listeners like country music, that's totally fine. It's not my bag. It's not my thing. Um, uh, I, I just bought. Oh,
1: but I, you know what I do like? What's uh, that? Go ahead.
0: No, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> I, there's a song that's close to my heart and it's Katie Steiner is listening. This one goes out to her and it goes, Rain makes corn, corn <laughs> makes whiskey, whiskey makes my baby get
0: a little frisky. <laughs> oh my gosh, that song. That's oh. the one
1: That, <laughs> that
0: song's so bad.
1: Like, it's so good, it's so bad though.
0: <laughs> I actually, I actually take some pride <laughs> that I've never heard some of like the, like the, you know, like those moment in time country songs like Toby Keith's Red Solo Cup. I've never heard that song and I, I take pride oh. in having never heard that song. Um, there's just moments in, that I'm like... You know what? What?
2: Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm just...
0: <laughs> I, I know that's probably bad. I should probably listen just for the sake of understanding what everybody's talking about, but I don't care.
1: I was going to say, when you said Red Solo Cup, um, back when I was a band director, my students, of course, they were so in touch with everything, you know, of the, of the moment, musically, obviously. They were listening to all the, like, just the artists that I had new idea. But I distinctly remember um, having a conversation with a kid, and they wanted to play, in the marching band, they wanted to play Drank in My Cup. <laughs> <laughs> and I arranged it for them, just, like, crossing my fingers that it wouldn't make the superintendent upset when she heard it, because she went to all the games, because, like... <laughs> There aren't any lyrics for the marching band, please.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so
1: I'm my cup, you know, technically it's okay, I suppose.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's no lyrics unless everybody starts singing along. Then there's a problem.
1: Yeah, well, I can't control that. And, you know, <laughs> you know, outside of the bandstand, whatever happens outside the bandstand is not my responsibility.
0: <laughs> oh, but my
1: yeah, goodness. speaking of you know, those songs, but hey, it was fun. It sounded good on
0: drinking my cup. So. and it, you those know what? Kids. If it made the kids happy,
1: <laughs>
0: um, and without getting like really far in the weeds, because we have a couple of things we definitely need to talk about. But because uh, before this podcast, we went off on a, a music theory tangent, and uh, it's you know it's rare that I get to really get nerdy about music theory, but I'm one of the those people who genuinely believes we need to stop teaching uh, traditional marching music to marching bands, and we need to start teaching music that kids can relate to to make them actually enjoy playing music.
1: Oh, yeah, I feel like that's very true. Yeah, as a former music educator, and I still kind of like to, I like to work with kids when they come into AMRO and, you know, just, like, try to say at least one or two things that will maybe, like, get them excited to go home and practice on their instrument or whatever but um people who maybe i roll my eyes a little bit like lindsey sterling comes out with another four chord song you know (laughs) but like (laughs) but you know at the same time there's a whole generation of young violinists who are taking violin lessons because of her so i think that it's really important to and like, also, those are the listeners of the next generation. So, just as a musician, like, yeah, I want them to to get excited about the violin, and if that's Lindsey Sterling or Taylor Davis or um, I don't know, some other great fiddlers, um, Regina Regina Carter, I think, is another one that I've gotten into. I can't remember if that's the right combination of names, but anyway, um, there's others who are you know, a little bit more musicians, violinists, but anybody who can get people interested in what I do or just listening to music in general. Um, I think that that's really key. So yeah, yeah, I try to remember that like education is actually a way to sustain any music career because those are going to be your fans in the near future or even at the moment.
0: (laughs) That's very, very true. And I am woefully unversed in, Violinists and fiddlers out there. Um, I've seen a few over the years who are like, I, I don't even know, like, because it, it's such a different world for me. But like, of course, I've, I, you know, people like um, uh, Sarah Watkins. I'm really into because I was really into Nickel Creek when they first came out, and since then, uh, she does a, a a family band with her brother. Now she also does um, a band called.
1: Oh, I'm with her.
0: Yeah, that's it. Oh, thank you. I I almost said she and yeah. him, which is uh, Zoe Deschanel's band, but um,
1: Zoe.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a totally different band. Um, but yeah, I'm with her. What a great! Oh, they're killing it. They sound so good. Um, but you know, it's I know. And, yeah, and I am a fan as well. You've got to encourage these musicians. What it's first of all, on the record. This is on the record on a guitar gear podcast. Yes, that's technically what we are: music gear podcast. I like Taylor Swift. I like Taylor Swift a lot. And you know what? if you don't, that's fine. <laughs> but Taylor Swift is inspiring an entire generation of young women to take up guitar and write songs and be musicians. And that's awesome.
1: It's true. Also, I enjoyed her most recent uh, uh, project that she put out there. It was really it was a different direction. For Taylor Swift, but right. I also agree. And what else I like about her is uh, she didn't she stand up for? I think she stood up to Apple um, yep. about not, yeah, not putting out music and not reimbursing the artists.
0: You like, know, she she stood up to Spotify too. You know, for a long I time was she wasn't on people. Spotify.
1: Right, right.
0: Uh, in fact, when yeah, 1989 was, came out. She was the only album that went platinum the year 1989 came out because she did not put it on Spotify.
1: That's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. And so now she's she's when now that Apple is reworking on it, I don't know where this they are in any stages. 2020 changed everything, but pre-2020, um she was working with Apple to change their artist uh streaming rights. She was working with Spotify to talk to them about representing artists more. In fact, when she signed her new record deal, and, and this is where I really wish that I had the article in front of me, but you never know what we're going to talk about on here, so I can't have it in front of me. Um, she signed her new record deal. And I remember it because it was right around Thanksgiving. I think it's the deal she has now. And when she it's it's a sub label of some major, I think it's universal. Somebody will tell me I'm wrong, but it's okay. Whatever major label she's on. She negotiated for better streaming rights in her contract, but she was able to leverage her celebrity. And not only did she get better streaming rights for her, she, in her contract, got better streaming rights for every artist on that label. Wow. Yeah. She's, she's, a, that's so good. She's, she's a, she is a, she's the kind of people we need in music right now that have the celebrity could just ride it, could just do what they want to do, but instead she's still fighting for every musician out there to make the money they should be from streaming.
1: Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, that's and also, I will say, um, I was having a conversation with another person today, actually, a Memphis drummer, and I was like, you know, I proudly raised my hand as one of those folks who is both a consumer and... Uh, creator on spotify (laughs) yeah and both ways i'm saying like and i i almost like i have some friends who don't put music on spotify because of the fact that they know that they're not gonna and then you're kind of pulling the rug out from underneath yourself by doing it agreed but at the same time like your people are bound because if somebody i'm still at the stage obviously where like people are you know they don't know who i am so it's better for me to get the exposure and to like have the ability for them to type in my name on Spotify. But I totally admire people who like Taylor Swift, you know, already have everything in place and they can just speak up for like the little guy like me and, and actually like negotiate some things. So yeah. yeah kudos to Taylor Swift. Indeed.
0: I, I really, I really like model. another She's a goddess. Oh, she is. She, and I like another thing she did when she put out folklore, See, she's, she's teaching artists how to do it while she doesn't have to do it. You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. It, she doesn't have to be doing the thing she's doing. She could never sell another record, and she'd never have to worry about money, right? But she, uh, when she right, put, right. Out, put out Folklore, I can't remember if it was eight different album covers. If you bought the physical copy, they did eight limited edition artworks for the album maybe eight, maybe 12. I can't remember, but they did like limited edition artwork. So suddenly you're appealing to that, like that hardcore fan base. They're going to buy every one of those because they, ah. they want all the artwork. They want all the individual artwork. Exactly. It's brilliant. There is zero reason that small artists can't do a similar thing. You you know what? You've got a you've got a stu- you got a tour coming up. You got like a, a 5 week tour, 3 week tour, whatever it is. Order one batch of your CDs that have a special artwork on them for that tour. Bam. That's so, cool. Suddenly it becomes oh, a collector's God. piece. It's it's more of a souvenir of that tour to own, even though they could get your music on Spotify. And she also included tracks on a couple of tracks on the CD that you can't get on Spotify.
1: I like that idea. I yeah. do like the bonus track. But yeah, I think especially you, when they're hidden and they're a surprise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you've just got to give people incentive to buy the the physical media, and and I think she's doing a good job of it. So right. I I will Oh, sti- well, for I, I, somebody who. <laughs> oh no! Go ahead.
1: Oh, sorry. I was going to say for someone who like you know you say you don't have any original music out or anything like. You have everything else in place, so like you you need to go just make a CD in order to implement all of this business knowledge. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I um my my problem is songwriting is the most difficult thing for me. I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting better. Actually, I talked about it on a, a recent podcast with my buddy Spencer. Uh, actually, a podcast that just just came out uh, when this one comes out, it'll be the one before. I think. Um, I, I am my own worst critic, and. I've spent the last 15 years trying to get past that. But also I've been trying to really find what it is I want to say and I've been having trouble with that. And I'm I'm finally getting to a point where I'm just you know what Philip just get the songs out. The the right ones will find you. Don't don't spend so much time trying to find the right songs. They'll find you. Just write. And so that's what I'm working on now. That's, yeah. So that's hof- good. hopefully I we'll see have album. The same problem. tough. It's so hard. It is. Songwriting is the most excruciating, like, self loathing experience that I've ever had. (laughs) Nothing makes me hate myself more than songwriting. It's, uh,
1: it's, yeah. And, like, I don't like to. I do think that there's a little bit of, well, maybe a little bit, maybe a lot of self loathing in, in every musician. But, like, it's funny because, I don't want to always say that I am because you also have to believe that you're not horrible (laughs) if you ever get, you know want to get anything done. But like it really, anything that um, that brings me into a place where I have to focus on that. I have to face my shortcomings, like my perceived, whatever it is I'm self-conscious about in my heart. And that can be like going back to a classical concerto that I used to be able to play, you know, like at concert speed and now I'm like <laughs> kind of relearning it um or songwriting which is definitely something that I haven't been doing for my whole life uh or even singing because really like I mean I was in choir in middle school or whatnot but, but the way that uh my songs that I'm writing now like push me to try to use my voice is totally outside my comfort zone and like definitely just one of those things that's hard to listen to yourself after you record usually Um, so I don't know I I encounter the same resistance and let me throw something out there for you Um, I don't know who wrote this book but a friend of mine suggested a book called The War of Arts and it's about like resistance and you know how it's a real inhibitor to creation and of course like synthesizing and creating is one of the hardest things for a person to do. It's at the top of the, like, you know, educator list of objectives (laughs) for your classroom, you know, for your students. And uh, so, yeah, I I think it's really interesting that somebody wrote a book about that. So check out the war of art. I will definitely check that out.
0: I'll make sure that I actually, I'll link that book down in the description below this podcast so people can find it as well. It'll probably be an Amazon link, but feel free to buy it on whatever book vendor you want. I'm not affiliated with Amazon; it's just the easiest way to do it. <laughs> just, I have to so throw that out lying. there. Like Amazon Why is. I
1: like Amazon.
0: <laughs> yeah, Amazon is so divisive right now. So it's like, it's it's an Amazon <laughs> link. You can look at it and then go buy it wherever you want. I don't care. It's like seriously, but it's an Amazon. It'll sort of be. A, like, it'll, paint with spotify exactly i mean you nailed it though if you're if you're a um up and coming artist or like for me i I think i talked about this with spencer it's like i don't want to make it quote unquote right i don't i don't like i want to record an album of music that i'm proud to put my name on I want to be able to go play live shows for this music, little weekender tours if that's what it comes to. Um, I want to, I don't I want, you know, I want to make enough money to like pay the band and not go broke doing it. But beyond that, I don't care. It's like I can completely break even and I'll be completely okay with it. Like pay the band, pay our mileage, awesome. Let's do it. Cause it's not my full time you know, job. I, I do it because yeah. I love doing it.
1: Right place to be in. And even though last year I lost money because, well, in 2019, never mind, 2019, I lost money because I made violent show and that was more money than I brought in (laughs) at the time. But like, even when you're trying to make it your full time or part time career, um, I think that you should always be in that mindset of like, if you don't enjoy it, don't do it. Because if you're doing it for the money, there's there's no money in it. <laughs> I know you're talking about that with Walt. Too.
0: Yeah, there's, there's not money in it. You've got to diversify. And that's what every podcast talks about. The DIY Musician Podcast, they've been talking about. They're like, if you think you're just going to make money selling records, you're not going to make any money. That's just it. That world has passed. That ship has sailed. You've got to figure out a way to engage your fans. Uh, And there's a theory they talk about, and I need to read the book. I don't even remember what the book is, but I'll find it. Maybe I'll put a link down in the podcast again if I, I remember. But there's a book, I think it's like 100 True Fans or something like that. And I think the concept is if you can create 100 true fans who will spend $100 a year on you, whether that be music, videos, merchandise, uh, you know, tickets to your your concerts, anything like that. If you can get a hundred people to spend a hundred dollars on you a year, that's that's the way to do it. But you've got to diversify. They're not going to buy a hundred dollars worth of music from you.
1: Huh. Yeah, I, that's very interesting.
0: Yeah, you don't have huh. to. You don't have to have I thousands have and thousands of fans. You've just got to get a hundred true fans but,
1: yeah i i think uh, education comes back into play there because like how do you how do you build like a long-term relationship with someone i mean that's one way but i think that people have to buy into you as a person first and then feel you know, buy into your music afterwards but i think that uh like when i think about who Some of my true fans, like if I were to my, I feel like I also don't want to brag, you know? Yeah, Um, yeah. But I know I do, because, like, I know the couple that came down from Oregon to be in Memphis for my CD release show. Like, they are a true fan. (laughs) They they tune into Fiddler's Friday every every week, and uh, there's some other people like that, too. And... Yeah, and, like, I I almost don't want to just, like, think about how I'm going to get $100 from them. But I think that the idea of uh, spreading out what you do is important. And especially now that we're learning, you know, live shows might not always be a a given. Um, Do some other stuff. Like, I'm doing a lot of home recording right now for people. In fact, Sean Rusky and I are in talks about an album he wants to make. Who's that? I hope he doesn't get upset with me for saying
0: that. I missed the name. Uh, you
1: know, Quad Park News Company.
0: Oh, yeah. Very cool.
1: Yeah. John Rusky, who's the head of that yeah. establishment, Clarksdale establishment. So, anyway, he sent me some of his songs, and he, of course, was like, Oh, I'm a songwriter. He's a great songwriter. I love what he sent me. John, John is like, one of the most. Details away.
0: That man is one of the most talented and intelligent people I've ever met in my entire life. He he doesn't oh, make yeah. any he's sense. Oh,
1: yeah, he's so thoughtful. Yeah. And his family, too. I love um, his wife and his little daughter, Emma, yes. Sarah, and Emma Reski. Yes, so,
0: Sarah, Sarah was my – um in my first full-time library job, Sarah was my boss at the Carnegie Library there in Clarksdale. And so – I still talk to her pretty regularly because we're both library directors here in Mississippi. Uh, I don't know if I've actually said that (laughs) on the podcast before. That's my full-time job. I'm a public library Uh. director. Um, But, uh, yeah, she and her daughter and John, they're some of the coolest people. And John is super talented musician, songwriter, just intelligent and thoughtful and profound. Anyway, I'm going to go on a John Rusky-like it's a fanboy like crazy, um, I love that guy, so that's awesome. you're working with him on that, and it's such a cool world that we're in now that you can record at home as work, like people can send you tracks, you can record your parts to them, send it back to them. we don't the the concept of the studio has changed so dramatically just since I was in school for recording industry management,
2: like
1: wow. Yeah, definitely. Um, we actually just put some sound tiles up in our music room this past weekend. Brandon and I did. And, like, I think I might be doing this well after the pandemic is over. In fact, Walt and I have been getting into Pro Tools collaboration mode. Um, there's a song I'm working on called Dream of Brain And it's already written, but, like, we're working on a video compilation. Oh, and cool. It's just like, yeah. And so Pro Tools, I mean, he's like basically giving me all of the information I have ever needed for Pro Tools. But um, <laughs> yeah, things like that, I think he said he was thinking about it and that he thought it was the future of Pro Tools, it's like collaboration over, you know, over the cloud and stuff. But it's it's good. I'm proud that I've been able to kind of add that skill set to my, you know, toolbox in the last few, in the last year or so, because I don't know, it's just a, another like form of income, like you said, diversifying, and I've been able to work with people from all around the world. Like there was a um, singer songwriter from the UK who we did a version of Bright Eyes from uh, Watership Down, the the movie Watership Down. They had a song called Bright Eyes. Okay, so it was a sad song that recording to this British singer. It was awesome.
0: And see, and that's that's sort of what I'm trying to get into is like that mindset that that can be done because part of what held me back from writing and recording my own music was I don't have the money to, to put, a, put into studio time and, oh, I I have this degree that I should be able to use and record it myself, but then it's also, I don't, I don't know, it's there was all those hangups in learning and getting better at actually doing the, the software and keeping up with all the changes and... 2020 has made me dial back and be like, okay, Philip, stop trying to, you know, eat the whole elephant in a bite, just settle back, sit around. And so like, I've been teaching, reteaching myself some of these skills that you're learning recording for other people. Um, and I've been reteaching myself. I've been recording little one minute, one and a half minute blank instrumental tracks and just figuring it all out. I think I'm going to throw some up on a sync licensing site at some point and be like, here use these if you want to pay me whatever 99 cents or whatever it is they're charging for this kind of stuff um i don't care i just want i'm recording it just for to get out there and start recording and be confident playing parts for people so that i can do that as well diversify of course everyone's a guitar player not everyone is a fiddle player so
1: <laughs> and thank goodness for that
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i
1: say
0: <laughs> so that does lead no, me to that's a question crazy for you. We're we're actually we're we're running up on. Uh, we've been talking for over fifty minutes already, and I haven't even asked you about gear yet. Now I know you've listened to the podcast. It's a it's I got gear heads on this thing. They get mad if I don't talk about gear, and I'm sure there's a bunch of them rolling their eyes right now. Oh, you're going to talk about her violin? No, no, no. Y'all don't understand. If you haven't seen Alice play, Al, it, I've seen you play electric violin through pedals into amps. Like, you're not just a typical show-up, put-a-microphone-on-the-violin-and-play kind of player.
1: Well, thank you. I take that as a compliment. (laughs) It it is. Because, honestly, the violin doesn't do well that way, I
0: don't think. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, see, yeah, yeah. I I could see where they probably get a little snooty about it, if I'm over-generalizing.
1: Oh, everything... Everything in the world of violinists is needy, except for me, of course. Um, just kidding. <laughs> now I'll tell you a few things about. Um, well, I'll tell you like my basic setup, and then I'll tell you about a few things that I'm excited about, uh, particularly related to violin. So um, my basic setup is um, a pedal board, not a very big one. They don't actually have that many pedals. Um, I've got a an um, MX uh, reverb. And a Boss Delay pedal and a Digitech Whammy. That is definitely my, I think, probably my favorite pedal. And a um, Phaser and a uh, Bass Wah pedal. And it's funny because when I was trying out pedals several years back, I tried out both the Guitar Wah and the Bass Wah. And the Bass Wah doesn't really work that well on the higher levels of higher registers and strings
0: in the violin. But man, does it sound good on like two so low, low strings. <laughs> Interesting. So, that's what sold me on bass
1: uh, wall. So and which, which, which bass wall? I'm curious. Uh, Is so it actually not a huge gear head?
0: No, no, it's we'll okay. just
1: take a look at it.
0: <laughs> Is, I, I need know, to
1: I even remember the brand.
0: <laughs> uh, Dunlop makes a bass wall that I used to use actually on bass. That you didn't act. It didn't actually have to click forward to activate it. It activated as soon as you moved. And I wondered if that was oh, it. Yeah. Is that it? I
1: have a crybaby.
0: Okay. Yeah. Is a crybaby the? Yeah, that's yeah. the one
1: I have.
0: That sounds right. I, I actually really liked that wall pedal. I I think more wall pedals should be like that, so I don't have to click forward on them to activate them. I should just have to move it and it starts working. That would yeah, be so I, much I, easier.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy this one a lot. And, um, and it's become my favorite puddle just because when you, when you, I try to save it for the best parts of the show. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just so juicy. <laughs> and on the violin, with the sustain that the violin has with the bow. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just love using that. And it always turns heads too. So I got it. Got to reserve it for the best parts of the Devil solo and
0: Devil went down to Georgia. Oh yeah, no, that's perfect. So it's it's kind of crazy it's to me a that farm. you mentioned a, a whammy pedal. Like even a lot of guitar players won't go near a whammy because they're interesting to find a way to use. Like, it, yeah, no, no, don't get me wrong. Every Rage Against the F- Machine fan went out and bought a whammy and tried to be Tom Morello. But, like, there's so much more that pedal can do. And sometimes guitar players are like, you know what? That's just too much. But it's,
1: it
0: can do a lot. In fact, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, no. It, it, and so that, that makes sense. But then I was just, I just had a moment where I was like, they're really hard to use. Like, you can't really use them on chords. You know what I mean? But uh, on violin, I mean, yeah. I know you can play partial chords and double stops. But for the most part, you're a single-note instrument. That makes a lot of sense to work
1: one of my first songs that I ever kind of got inspired by a pedal, in fact, probably the only one right now that I can think of that I wrote, uh, was, it's called Boots and Cats. It's on my album, Intro, which can be bought everywhere. Don't so go to Spotify, buy it on my website. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, it's called Boots and Cats and it's it's just like, a B minor seven and, uh, G minor 7 and I was playing open uh, double stops on the violin. So D and A and G and D. And each of those notes got a minor third added to it above it. So it became those two chords. And then there's some other chords too. Uh, so just so people know I don't just write two chord songs. Although <laughs> maybe if you listen to Ghost in the Water they would think that. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, but <laughs> that was like Song directly inspired by the Digitech Whammy, and yeah, also the pitch bending is really fun. I like to do that. Well, all kind of got me into that, um, but yeah, it's a great puddle. And I uh, go out through just like a regular Fishman, and I also have a Fender Acoustasonic, um, that I enjoy playing with some of my bigger games because it has more, uh, the 90s watt and the fender the other one is 60 um but yeah that's my like basic setup and but the, the two things i'll tell you the two things i'm most excited about um the first one that the first piece of gear i really love that i have is a microphone system for the violin made by your heaven and your heaven is a tiny little company, I don't know if they're as tiny now as they are when I met them, but um, I met them at a Folk Alliance conference, and they had a little booth set up, and they have a microphone that goes into the violin through the F-hole, so this would be for acoustic violins, not electric like I play on, you know, some viol- on some Blackwater Trio shows or all of them, um, but this is, like, specifically engineered for string instruments. So, also guitar, they make a system for guitar as well. And what's really cool, I use this for all of my home recording gigs because there's a way that you can set it up to EQ to each specific instrument that you have. And, like, now I'm fortunate I don't just have one fiddle, but I have, like, two or three. Um, And it's really cool because I can make, like, a profile for each one and... I don't know how the technology works, but it just basically cuts and EQs it. <laughs> and every time I play, like, this is a, a system that travels really nicely. It has a little box, and I've taken it and played it in some really, like, sensitive singer-songwriter shows. Um, and every time I do, like, the sound person can never believe how good it sounds. They're like, oh, my gosh. They told me I had to, to work with violin of tonight, and, like, I'm always dreading that cause violinists are always so hard to get sounding like properly on a sound system but like that sounds so good and that's like one of my big home recording hacks and i love it and i i what's cool is that um i know like one of the people who actually invented it yeah. and i see him his name is stephen schwartz and i see him a lot at different folk alliance events and he just like, he's such a helpful guy and he helps me kind of understand how to configure it for the first time. He like walks me through on an hour on my computer, like getting it all perfectly set up for me, like from afar, uh, when I first got it. He's so helpful. And he's like also one of the people who designed the entire system. So he just knows it really well. So anyway, I'm not selling that. Uh, I don't get any commission from it. <laughs> But it's called Your Heaven, and it's a really cool system for anybody who plays a string instrument, including guitar. So check it out.
0: Yeah, no, and it's, then I, I looked second, it up while you've been talking about it, and it looks really, really fascinating. I'll have to put a link. I'll put a link down in the details so other people can look it up and and see what this system looks like.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's um, like I mean, there are definitely a couple of things that I would like to be made in the future for this um for example there's no wireless capability right now and i you know me <laughs> like <laughs> you've seen me around uh, i would like to be freed from my tether of the cord but <laughs> for now um i mostly play it at sensitive singer-songwriter shows anyway so i don't need to be romping around the stage with it but right. that would be cool um but anyway, it's it's really just great, especially if you're like me and you're still kind of a novice at everything computer-wise and sound-wise and you just want something to, like, make your instrument sound good going straight into the computer or, you know, at a church because I know you do that a lot.
0: Yeah, uh, or or did, yourself, you know, before COVID shut all that down. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> right, right. Same here. No, it, uh, the I second be- cool thing...
0: I think this would be awesome oh, ahead, yeah. for home record. So I guitarist, I'm looking at the guitarist system um, guitarist. It's not cheap. Be aware. I'm, I'm just going to put the link down there. You can check it out, but I think it'd be incredibly helpful for guitarists who have an acoustic guitar. They love the sound of, but you know, a piezo pickup or piezo pickup, however you want to pronounce it. Everybody's argues over it, but Doesn't sound that great plugged into your PA, but you don't have a great microphone you like and you can't really get, you know, you can't get the sound you want or maybe your room doesn't sound as good as you'd like. This looks like the perfect system for home studio guys to get a legitimate, great sounding acoustic sound without having to worry about, you know, some crazy expensive microphone or mic position or anything like that.
1: Oh, yeah. oh, another nice thing about it is it's really good at blocking out anything that's not your instrument. And because it goes inside the instrument, it just has that much more of an advantage. Um, but like, I just got Brandon a typewriter for his birthday last year, <laughs> and he likes to he likes to type this at the right time when I'm like doing creative stuff in here. so i he could be typing on his typewriter, and I could be recording for somebody. And never the train saw me. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Which is pretty cool.
0: You know, that's so. really cool.
1: Yeah, and, and in live situations, it really cuts down on feedback as well. So,
0: Which is always always, nice. always a big deal with any kind of pickup in an acoustic instrument.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, I want to share with you my other thing. Sure. Uh, we can talk more about your having also, is that not a provocative name? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I just like, have to say. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> no, great. Never, <laughs>
1: I'm like, oh, I use your husband.
0: <laughs> like, what? And uh, you talked okay. about this earlier. Like, as a musician, you've got to have a little bit of bravado and a little bit of ego. That's a company that gets it. They're like, no, no, we're your heaven.
2: <laughs> it's like,
0: I, yeah, yeah, I, it's I, I love the audacity. Ecstasy, I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, like, they really are great. And I can't say enough good things about Steve. He's he's a wonderful guy. He will take care of anybody who needs his help. And they are kind of like a scrappy little startup, too. They're not like, you know, pickups or something. It's it's a startup that I think deserves, um, if you're going to spend hundreds of dollars, because it is not, like you said, it's not cheap, but. Um, If you're gonna spend the money to like really get something nice, and then actually, what I like to do when I am not just in my home uh, is like mix this with, you know, in a studio when we made Violin True, um, the engineer Mike Wilson like put he put microphones in the inside of a piano, he put them all around the room at Ardent, like he did all sorts of things. But um, the mic that I had from the your heaven system my heaven (laughs) it gave like this really great body and spacey uh register to the violin mix that you know it didn't really pick up the room of course but we had other mics for that but he just gave like a great starting point on which he could layer everything else so
0: yeah no, that's awesome.
1: That's awesome. I think I have said everything that I could think of as good. There's a lot of good things about your heaven. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll share that link in the in the uh, description so folks can uh, check it out. Uh, maybe I'll find them. I don't know if they're on Instagram or anything. I'll find their Instagram if they've got one. Um, but yeah, yeah
1: show them some love.
0: Very yeah. cool. So the that's last
1: your, thing I'll say. Yeah. wise. Um. That's everything in my rig right now, besides my purple dragon violin, which I love. Just <laughs> vibrage violin, and I feel like people now, you know, know me by that violin. They're like, "Ooh, who's the girl with the purple violin?" So, anyway, it's fun. Um, but uh, just a little side note, and this is probably not gear related as much, but I just got one of my carbon fiber bow re- bow hairs and guess what color I got in the hair.
0: I, I'm assuming purple, I hope.
1: Oh, gosh. Well, they do make purple, but what? it's a little bit more under the radar.
0: Ah, oh, you're going to have to tell me.
1: I, oh, well, it, it's, it's not that exciting, but it's black. And oh. it's a black carbon fiber belt. So, real fun, and I'm excited to, like, see use that. And anyway... I put it out there on my most recent fiddlers Friday live stream. But that's something that I think I'm going to start doing more of. And I think it's becoming a trend. Um, so my coworker at Amro like did this for me to, mostly as an experiment for both of us. But he said that um, it's also becoming sort of a trend for like stream players to get black horse hair on their bows. Um, oh, and okay. not just the typical white. You can, of course, get all the, you know, Pretty pretty colors of the rainbow. Uh,
2: you're
1: you right. Like, to, <laughs> like pink or neon green or whatever. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's something that I'm just excited about aesthetically. But also, um, the black horsehair is like not quite as processed as white horsehair. And it's thicker and just like so robust. And I feel like it brings out a lot more of that upper and lower tones whereas you know my regular bow which is also great like regular horse hair of course has been used for centuries but um, that's more of like brings out the mid but this this other hair that I have now on the black bow it just like shines in a different way and so I am excited to bring it to a gig and hoping also that like because it's a little bit more group-y, um, on the string that it won't like I won't wake up the next morning and have like shoulder pain which I
0: sometimes <laughs> do <laughs> so so we were um, talking earlier about uh, the, the snootiness of violin culture is there like so oh, yeah there yeah. there are carbon fiber guitars out there and guitarists turn their lowbrow noses up at carbon fiber guitars is there anything is there anything like that in violin culture where they see carbon fiber bows or even carbon fiber violins and they just kind of go oh no 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 just can't do that
1: oh i mean yeah i used to be one of those people and now look at me i mean you're you're talking to somebody yeah and of course like that everything got turned upside down when I came down to the South. Like, I I play more now on the purple violin than I do on the regular one. Um, yeah,
0: playing a purple electric violin that, with a carbon fiber bow. I mean, your, yeah. your, your old classical friends won't even know who you are.
1: <laughs> no, no, I don't think anybody, like, <laughs> south of the Mason-Dixon line ever expected this of me. And people <laughs> south of the Mason-Dixon line probably didn't expect this of you know me to take this turn in my life um where i put away the the classical music and started running around the stage jumping up and down just like you know <laughs> turning into an alter ego of myself but yeah. um anyway yeah like i think there's a lot of, of stuff out there uh, especially because let's face it like pernambuco wooden bows Are really expensive and I don't think I I mean I did use that for a long time before I got my first carbon fiber bow but if you're swinging it around playing some you know I mean not to talk forever about devil and down to Georgia but that's just the one I could think of where I like top little bow choreography (laughs) (laughs) that I sort of built into the song for myself um yeah so I don't want to do that with my nice wooden bow. So I feel like maybe it's also my love and affection for like the old, old fashioned style, you know, like the real deal wooden violins and bows um, that makes me want to play a carbon fiber, violin, carbon fiber bow. Cause I don't, I mean, that was really the reason I got my purple dragon to begin with was I was at Stone Pony and watching people walk by me with like, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. overflowing beards in their hands and i think at one point uh at a trio show tess like walked right into me and spilled diet coke all over my purple violin (laughs) (laughs) and like i you know i laughed at the time but like painfully laughed but it would not have been nearly as funny if it were my wooden violin so
0: yeah no i can totally (laughs) i i think the same thing about um uh, I have a I have a old vintage super reverb that I love, but it's like I I take it on nights I was hosting jams or whatnot, and somebody comes on stage and they put their beer on top of my amp, and I'm like, I will kill you, right? uh, I will I will yeah. murder you on stage. Remove the beer that's from a, the from the amp that's twice my age, <laughs> please. Not quite that, yeah. but.
1: If I need- be in my end, it's
0: be me. <laughs> exactly. If if I it's it's that way I feel about my guitars. It's like, look, if I ding my guitars up, that's on me, and that's me doing it. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. It's it's I don't know, it's a yeah. wild it's a wild way of looking at it. So I we have we have talked a long time, but I, I meant to ask you this earlier. So I remember my first experience with violin not in classical, bluegrass, or country. Um, I went and saw the band Blue October at um the New Daisy Theater in Memphis. May it rest in peace. Um, oh. and I don't know if you you're familiar with the band at all, but they have an electric violinist as well. And that was the day that I was like, oh, oh, violin can do other things. It doesn't have to be in this, you know, very prim and proper or even bluegrass isn't prim and proper. But you get the idea. It's very, um. It's very in its box. It can go way outside and do all these very, very cool things. And so, to see you as you've started to embrace that's really, really cool. To see some of the sounds you're pulling off, some of the things you're doing, it makes it interesting because it's not something you hear very often at all.
1: Well, I agree. I think it's most interesting to dwell in the the places that are neither here nor there for violin and thank you for the compliment on that because that's definitely what i'm like my aim i tell people is to push the violin like further outside of its normal comfort zone so like you said the usual one um any kind of fiddle genre that like you could find a book for that genre on how to teach you to play or classical right um, but yeah and like jazz violin i love that. But even that has some kind of boxes around it, um, like uh, Hot Club Jazz, for example, has a very, like, defined way to play. But um, so I remember when I was, like, hanging out with John Mohead and played some shows with him, um, he told me, like, you know, there's a lot of ways in which you play and, like, you're inside a box but you know. What's best, like, what I like most about your playing Alice is when you, like, break the boundaries of that box and just kind of fly away. And that's, like, when I think about my solo project, um, so Violin Tro, and then right now I have three singles out as well. Uh, Queen and uh, Wonderful Fall and Fist in the Water, which is my heavily Mississippi-inspired song. Moon Lake, actually. Oh, nice. Um, So, yeah, like for me, all of that is the expression of me trying to find new places for the violin to be. And, you know, it's like there's still a lot of uncharted territory out there for the violin. And I think it's cool to make it sound like instruments that it's not and put it into context where it doesn't usually belong. So, yeah, I'm all about that.
0: That is so, so cool. And it's it's such an interesting thing uh, just to hear violin do something different. And my suggestion as we wrap up is going to be that everyone who listens to this podcast, all tens of you, all the family, y'all, uh, <laughs> we're, we're getting the word out there slowly but surely, y'all go check out. Uh, Alice Hasten's, uh record, intro. You've also got some new stuff you're working on. I'm sure you're working on a new album already, just like most good artists are. Um, I'm going to put a link down for your Spotify, but you know what? Y'all don't go get that, that. Y'all know my stance on this. I've said it on every podcast at this point. Streaming doesn't pay shit. So I'm going to put a link to your website where they can go buy your music and get it directly from you. Uh, Alice is on Instagram, uh, I'm gonna put links to all your socials so they can find where you are. Uh hopefully there will be gigs and people can catch you live again soon. Until then, you're still doing the uh Friday uh live streams.
1: Yeah, I am and I've really been enjoying that. Um the most recent one was uh Songs from Film with Swagger. <laughs> <laughs> so we did um Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> we did uh I did the Ecstasy of Gold on the Loot pedal. and oh, I didn't talk about my Loot pedal. That'll have to be another day, I guess. Yes. Um, and then we, I did some Pirates of the Caribbean, and then I roped Brandon into playing Promontory from the Last of the Mohicans with me, and so that was fun because he plays guitar, but he won't he won't tell the world that. So I will <laughs> tell the world. Um, and I get to have like a live-in guitar player in. TV person and film director and everything. <laughs> so anyway, he's great. Um but yeah, that's every Friday at four PM and my I'm sure you put the links and stuff in there, but my Facebook page is Alice the Music and I also stream it to the Blackwater Trio page. And um I'm also I've recently started also streaming them to YouTube, which is just my name. So Oh, awesome. Easy to find, hopefully, for everyone. Yeah, it's a blast. I enjoy, like, I really enjoy when people, um, obviously, like, you can tell how many people are tuning in, but when people say hello and I can say hello back, that's like a small window into the outside world. So, <laughs>
0: no, so y'all fantastic. please say
1: hi if you, if you want to be the Well,
0: that's awesome. So all those links are going to be down in the description below. Um... Uh, Also, down in the description below, there's going to be links for this podcast on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, Make sure, if you enjoy the podcast, and I really hope you do, um, make sure you leave a review and leave a rating. It helps us find new listeners. Um, I keep using the royal plural, uh, us, it's me. Uh, It helps me find new listeners. And um, we also, we, again, I have started a Patreon for this podcast. Y'all, I don't... I don't make my living doing this, and I don't have aspirations to do that. I just really enjoy doing this. So the Patreon is designed to help cover things like um, hosting costs, uh, better equipment, uh, better software, if I can find a way where, you know, get away from phone interviews, or maybe travel expenses to actually go interview people in person, which would be fantastic to actually sit across from another human being and not stare at my computer screen. That would be awesome. Um, so it's going to cover those things, but also, because I don't do this for a living, uh, 25% of everything that I take in after Patreon fees on Patreon is going to go to charity. Uh, so it'll be donated to charities like the Delta Blues Museum. It'll be donated to charities like St. Jude Children's Hospital and and other extremely worthwhile charities like that because uh, I feel like it's really important to support those that need it the most. Um, I'm lucky enough to still have a full-time job that has lasted through a pandemic and I want to be able to put some money where it, it really needs to go. Uh, so I really appreciate everyone listening. Remember that you can email us at 40 watt at gmail.com. You can also call and leave a voicemail. Uh, I got my first voicemail this past week and it was in, uh, it was a wrong number. But they were definitely, it was a school district looking for the parents, some children. I really hope they found those parents, but I'm not that person. <laughs> <laughs> so leave a, leave a voicemail. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll read it on, on the podcast, and, and maybe it'll be a discussion topic for me and my guests that week. Uh, but you can call us at 662-546-0615. Again, we're on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can find us all there. Alice, I really appreciate you hanging out, talking. Uh, it's actually my longest episode so far, I think, and didn't talk about guitar. It's the weirdest thing.
1: Oh, man, what notoriety. I, I have been honored to be on this podcast with you, Philip. So it's been so much fun
0: to talk to you. Oh, yeah, and I- I'm so happy. Hopefully, we'll get to do this again. We'll get you back on, uh, hopefully in person one day, because uh, I have so many... Uh, Memphis area musicians I'd love to be able to get on the podcast maybe I can make a weekend out of coming to Memphis and just getting as many people on the podcast as I possibly can in a weekend Um, well you can stay with
1: us when you
0: do oh well I appreciate it I really do so we're going to make that happen soon until then though folks y'all remember please be good to yourselves please be good to each other and try and make a little bit of noise y'all take it easy this episode is brought to you by the supporters of 40 Watt Podcast over on Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash 40 Watt Podcast, where for as little as $3 per month, you can help support the podcast and get every episode ad free. For $5 a month, you'll get every episode ad free as well as a bonus episode every week. I can't overstate how thankful I am for the support of my patrons and hope you'll consider joining the team and helping keep this show on the road.